ushers to come forward this time.
morning, everybody. I don't know if you realize this, the first time in four weeks I've been stood behind this pulpit. I was ready to get back. Sort of like a, book, uh, a bulldog, and you know, they say, kick them. And so I'm ready to go this morning. Uh, we should be through about 3 o'clock this afternoon, so y'all just sit back and enjoy. Hey, I've got it all saved up. I have to get rid of it today. But if you will, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Colossians chapter 2. Verses 6 through 10. This is sort of what Paul calls a picture or pictures of the Christian life. I'm a little dry this morning, so y'all excuse me. It's good to be back this morning, be back in the pulpit. It seems like we've been gone for a month now. But, you know, the great thing about around here is, now I know most of you probably never experienced this, but... One of the fears for me is finding somebody to fill in while I'm going on vacation or someplace. We are blessed, really, really blessed to have several in our church can step up and fill in. You don't know how comforting that is. I could call anybody on the spur of the moment, and they're ready to step up. Brother Dennis, I've done that several times before with him, but it, uh, but he's more seasoned than the rest of them, so it just we'll, we'll just leave it there. But it, uh, it, it's just a great blessing to have somebody that can fill in really on the spur of the moment. And so it's, it's good to, to be back this morning, but I, I really appreciate the ones that have filled in over the last few weeks and taken care of it. But I know they did a good job. In fact, the only thing I worry about is they did too good of a job, and I'm not sure that's good, but anyway. But it, we'll, keep, we'll keep using them anyway. If you would, stand with me as we read these verses. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, 
according to the basic principles of the world. And do not according to Christ. For in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are, com- you are complete. You are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, that we back here together in our service and just, Lord, that we just just worship through song these last few minutes. And Lord, just the songs that felt so real that you're here with us today. And Lord, we know you are. Just ask that you would take these words this morning. Go with us. That Lord, we could just feel your presence. And our prayer is, Lord, that if anybody in this room does not know you in a personal way, that before this day ends, they'll have an opportunity to come to know you. Thank you, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit fulfill each one of us. That we can just feel your movement among this crowd today. Thank you for being a part of this. Go with us. Pictures of the Christian life. Now, you know, communicating can be somewhat challenging sometimes. Even It can be hard even in the best of situations. Most of us use metaphors to describe something. A metaphor, according to Webster, is an expression comparing one thought to another by using a verbal picture. When someone mixes up a picture, they use what's called a mixed metaphor. And the results can often be humorous. Here are some examples of actual mixed metaphors that got sent to Miss Ann Lander some years ago. Now, I believe she's passed away now, but nonetheless, I still like to read a lot of her stuff. But she uh, she had a way of taking little things and making it uh, humorous and so forth. Here are some of the metaphors that were sent to her, and people got them mixed up a little bit. You're pulling my leg over my eyes. I think they got mixed up a little bit. You've hit the nail on the jackpot. Once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's too late to close the barn door. I'm not sure about that one, so I'm going to just let that slide. It's as easy as falling off a piece of cake. I guess so. I don't know about that. He's not the brightest bulb in the knife drawer. I'm not going to say anything on that one. I like this one. Keep your eye to the grindstone. Number seven, you. Uh, number seven, you buttered your bread. Now lie in it. Okay. Number eight, it's like looking for a needle in a hayride. Hope you don't find it. <laughs> and the last one, number nine, don't count your chickens until you see the whites in their eyes. I think somebody got those a little bit mixed up when they were saying them. But anyway, when the Apostle Paul wrote about the Christian life, he intentionally introduced a variety of powerful metaphors. Excuse me. There are pictures of the Christian life. In this passage, there are at least five different pictures that help us visualize the Christian life. And we can use these to our benefit if we will. The reason the Bible uses a variety of images to describe who we are in Christ is because a single picture could never show the riches or the depth of our relationship to Christ. That's a good thought right there. The first metaphor that Paul uses is a walker. He says, stay on the right track as you're walking through life. The New King James Version of the Bible correctly captures the meaning when it says, As you have received Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him. That's a good description right there, that we need to walk in the Lord. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, then start walking Him if you haven't already. Make it be part of your life. That's Colossians 2.6, by the way. Whenever Paul used that word walk, it was meant to describe a person's lifestyle. It's like when we say, you've got to walk the walk. We speak of all walks of life. Our life is like a walk, if you think about it. And that's exactly what Paul's telling us here. We all start out walking in the wrong direction. Every one of us did. We all start out walking in the wrong direction. Jesus tells us that we are all walking down a wide road leading to destruction. But salvation is realizing the offer of eternal life and we do an about face. We turn around and go the other way. 
If you're a child of God here today, and I presume most of you are, then you were walking down the wrong road and you intercepted Christ at some point and He turned you around and started you walking down the other road. And that's what we all need to be. That's what we all need to do. If you're not, if you're not doing that today, then see me after church and we'll try to get you turned around. In order to start walking on the salvation road, we must receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It has to be that way. There is no other option. But also, not merely a Savior. A lot of people like Jesus for Savior, but they don't want Him to be the Lord of their life. And folks, Jesus will not walk with you down that road there. You'll either be, he'll either be Lord of your life or He won't be Lord at all of your life. And so we need to make sure we're walking down that road. And then we need to keep on walking in faith. It's not always easy, but walking itself involves faith. Have you ever thought about that? Now, I, I had a little experience that taught me this lesson just a few weeks ago. We were on vacation up in, uh, I forgot where we were now, uh, Texarkana? Do I, Tex, I believe it was in Texarkana. She had gone out shopping. Lo and behold, can you believe that? She went shopping. But anyway, I stayed at the motel, and I just had a good time and just walking around looking at things, and I started to walk back in the door, and I tripped over the ledge of the door, and I did a flat fall on the ground. Thank goodness there was about six nurses just happened to be walking by. And yeah, I milked it for all it's worth. <laughs> they came running over there. And they picked me up. Are you all right? Are you all right? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Just, but they tapped me for a little bit. And you know, I sort of liked that. It was sort of fun. <laughs> I mean, these six or seven nurses just picked me up and just set me on the bench and just took care of me for a minute. And then, of course, Judy came back and said, get up and let's go. <laughs> Not, 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 not really, but anyway. But it, it's not always easy, but walking itself involves faith. Walking involves faith. When you think about it, walking is actually risking, is a risky business. In order to walk, you have to lean forward to get your balance and then put your foot out and then do the next one and on and on. And so it's a risky business, as I found out that day. Somehow I missed that first step, and I went flat on my face. But when you think, in order to walk, you have to lean forward until you're almost falling. Then in order to catch yourself, you place the other foot there, and then you just take off one step after the other. To regain your balance, basically. Then you do it again and again and again. We've conditioned ourselves, but every step requires faith, if you think about it. Even the steps. Now, I know... As I get older, and I hate to use those words, but I notice I'm stumbling a lot more than I used to in life. I don't know why. I'm not sure somebody's pushing me from behind or what it is, but I'm, I'm beginning to stumble quite a bit. And I find myself almost falling down. We've conditioned ourselves, but every step requires faith and action. The idea of walking is to remind us we can't stay still. We weren't meant to stand still. We must keep on progressing in the Christian life. Being born again is the first step. But then we must take the step of baptism. We had a baptism last week. And that's a great thing when that happens. And the step of church membership, and then the step of service, and then the step of discipleship, and on and on and on. You weren't meant to become a Christian and sit in silence. You are meant to become part of the Christian faith and become part of the church and work in the church and do what God's blessed you with. Well, I don't know what God's blessed me with. Well, stick around. We'll show you. Most of us already figured it out with some of us. But what I'm saying is you are not meant to come to a church and sit. You are meant to get involved and begin to grow and begin to help others grow. Maybe a teacher, become a teacher, whatever it may be, or a Sunday school class, you know, whatever it can be. But we were meant to be a part of a growing church that's why we're here together. We're not here to stay the way we are. We're here to grow this church and to see new people brought in. And we've had new people, new people sitting in our room right today. But it's not meant to stop. It's meant to go forward, to keep adding and so forth. Being born again is the first step. But then we need to take the step of baptism, the step of church membership, the step of service, the step of discipleship, 
the walk never ends until Jesus calls you home. Once you make that initial step, you're expected by God's Word to fall in and begin to take a place in the church. Now, that may take years to get involved and so forth, but that's the goal, to get everyone involved and participating in the church and serving in the church and helping in the church and teaching classes and what all is involved in it. The Christian life isn't riding one of those people movers you see on TV that have the two wheels of people ride around the airports and place. Now, I don't want to get on one of those things myself. But it's, you know, that's the way some people want the Christian life to be, that make it easy. I don't want to have to do all these things. But God says, I want you to be a part involved in my church. I want to use you in my church. I've blessed you with talents. It may be a talent to play this piano. It may be a talent to sing. It may be a talent to teach. And God says, I want you to use your talents for the church and in the church to glorify Jesus Christ, your Lord. Christian isn't like riding those people movers that you see. You must continue to place one foot in front of the other and keep walking in faith, walking in the Spirit. But then he does something a little bit different. The next metaphor he gives is a tree. Now, wait a minute. We went from walking, being walking in the faith, walking in the way he's supposed to, we're supposed to walk, but he changes the metaphor in the middle of the stream. You've heard the old proverb that says, don't change horses in the middle of the stream. Well, that's exactly what Paul does. He changes metaphors right in the middle of the stream. He's just talking about walking and being a faithful walker. And then he turns and he says, you need to change metaphors. And he writes. He goes from walking meta- a walking metaphor to a, another metaphor, a tree. Now, that's just about as opposite as you can get. A walking person and a tree. They're a little bit different there. So what's Paul talking about? He goes from a walking metaphor to a metaphor about a tree. He writes, rooted and built up in Him, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.7. This sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? In the first metaphor, we're told we should walk. That implies movement. But in the second metaphor, we're told to be rooted. That's stable. He can't move. No single metaphor can do justice to the richness and the variety of the Christian life. That's the blessing that's come down. Some may be walkers. Some may be trees. But you're still serving a purpose in God's family. When Jesus told the parable of the sower, he spoke with uh, some people whose lives are like the same plants growing in shallow soil. And when the heat beat down, when trouble comes, in other words, the plants begin to wither. For a plant to really thrive, it must have strong, deep roots come up. Go down and get that moisture that's deep in the ground and so forth. For a plant to really survive, you've got to have that reaching down and getting the moisture. And the same thing's true with us. That's why some people wither when adversity comes in their life because their roots don't go down and get the nourishment from the Word of God. They aren't rooted deeply in Jesus Christ. Are you rooted deeply this morning in Christ? Is your life just a bounce around, not knowing what to do? There's a lot of Christians that live that way. They expect God to just bless them all the time, but that doesn't work. You've got to be the active ingredient in it. They aren't rooted deeply in Jesus. If you've ever been through West Texas, you've probably had the opportunity to see what they call tumbleweeds. I remember back about 20 years ago, I was in the electrical business, and I traveled all over Texas as a salesman. And I traveled all over Texas, and one time I was in, in Lubbock going to, up to Amarillo. I don't remember the highway, but it was one of the main ones. It's a straight shot, but just up there. I was driving along, pretty good pace, and looked out there, and this big brown blob was coming toward me. I thought, what in the world is that? And the faster I'd go, the faster it'd catch up with me. I mean, this thing's almost the size of my car. I thought, what in the world is that? And finally, when it got close enough, I slowed down, and it went across the highway, and I could tell that's a tumbleweed. I'd heard about them, but I'd never seen one before. 
but it was big, and it would be, it, and it was about the size of my car, and I was afraid it'd blow us off the road, but it didn't. It just crumbled to pieces and went on. But I couldn't help but think about that tumbleweed. A lot of Christians are like a tumbleweed, aren't they? They have no root. They don't do, go down to the ground. They just blow in the wind. <laughs> Sounds a lot like Christmas too, doesn't it? <laughs> but here was this plant just rolling across the prairie. And it all of a sudden hit me. That's what it is. It's a tumbleweed. Now, it was about that big. I mean, it was almost the size of my car. That's a tumbleweed. It can't hurt me. That may scare me to death, but it doesn't hurt you. But anyway, I had no idea what it was, but it was big and it was fast too. It was a tumbleweed about half the size of my car. Sadly, too many Christians are like tumbleweeds. They face the danger that Paul described, Ephesians chapter 4, when he spoke of Christians who are blown about by every wind of doctrine. You ever know anybody like that? Of course we have. We've all known some. We might even be some of them sometimes. We've all no known Christians who got sucked into every fad and fashion that comes around, and they fall for it. In spite of what the Bible teaches, in spite of what they've known all these years, they go with their first fad and they just begin to be that type of person. A tumbleweed can become a big plant, but it lacks deep roots. Deep roots in people as well as in plants create stability and security. Do your, plant, do your roots go down where they can catch hold of Jesus? The only kind of trees that can survive drought and storms are trees with roots that and tap down deep into the ground. These deep roots create strength and seek out nourishment. The only kind of Christian who can survive periods of personal storms and emotional droughts are those who have sunk deep roots into the nourishment and stability that only Jesus can give. That's the only kind. There is no other. The psalmist described this kind of person when he wrote in Psalms chapter 1, verse 3. He is like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf also shall not wither. Whatever he does, he shall prosper. You want to prosper in life? Jesus just told you how you can do it. Wrap around Jesus and hold on tight, because it's going to be a rose. Look forward to it. A walker represents movement and progress. That's us. A tree represents depth and stability. That's us. The next time you look at a big old oak tree, remember, all an oak tree is is a little nut that refused to give up its ground. That's all it is. But he turned into a giant oak tree. The next time you look at a big oak tree, remember, he's nothing but a little nut that turned into a giant oak tree. He went down and got the nourishment. Number three, he also says we're like a student. I mean, now, oh, Paul's just jumping around here. We were a walker, we were a tree, and now we're a student. Paul once again changed his metaphors to picture a student. I thought that'd be good this week with school starting up and all these kids are so excited to go back to school and teachers just can't wait to get back up there. And I mean, just Tad a while ago was just so excited to get to go Tuesday morning and just be a part of it again. But as we change metaphors to a student, every Christian should be a student of God's Word. Period. No exceptions. Paul uses this metaphor when he wrote Colossians 2.7 established in the faith as you have been taught. Why do you think it's so important for us to have Sunday school classes and classes people can go into and teachers that know how to teach and uh, to get the Word out to them? That's exactly it right here. They begin to grow. Their roots begin to grow and reach down into the waters of life that Jesus supplies for us. What, was he saying? He, what he was saying was, now that you've been taught, Quit just studying the subject and start living it. How many people learn the subject but just keep on keeping on the way they've been doing it? When you're a student in school, you have many subjects to study from, several textbooks. But for a Christian, we just have one textbook. 
called the Bible. You don't need any other. That's all you need if you'll spend time. We spend a lot of time on to plan on each Sunday morning worship experience. From the time the choir, pra, choir, the choir gets there and practices, they sing a song over and over and practice it over and over so they'll be ready. Just for that short time we do the music. They practice that so that they can sing it to the best of their abilities to glorify God. And to draw somebody through those songs. And to have a part in the service. The hours that the praise team puts in together. That one song at the beginning of service to call us to worship. From the time that Judy plans every song that we'll sing as a congregation. The special music that we have most Sundays. To the time that I spend preparing this message, in fact. Everything we do is in hopes that you will leave this building in just a few minutes after hearing the Word of God and you walk out and it makes a difference in your life. That's why we're here. That's why we spend this money to put this building together, to have it cool so we can join together and worship together and leave feeling that, yes, I need to make some changes in my life. Or maybe I'm where I need to be. I need to make a commitment to the church. I don't know what your commitment is. But that's why we go through all this to plan and prepare so that Jesus Christ can come and move among our friends each and every week. For some of you, it may have been a long time since you picked up your Bible and really read it. Asking the Holy Spirit to reveal God's truth to you it may be somewhere in the back of your car or on a shelf at home. However, I can tell you right now from any street in this room where you need to be to hear God. You know that? Here's what God says to, to us. And God reminds us in Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. The Word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. So... You may obey it. Deuteronomy 30, 14. Not my word. That's God speaking. He says, it's as near as you want it to be. You don't have to be sitting in a church service. You don't have to be listening to gospel music. You don't have to, have to turn the gators on. Now, you might get in trouble with God if you don't, but that just, that's just my opinion. But, it just, but you can be in the parking lot. Because God says the Word of God is as close to you as it's in your mouth. Did you hear that verse? God's Word is so near. Will you obey it? That's the question. The reason God wants you to be familiar and learn about the Bible is so that you'll make the choice to obey it and put it in use in your daily life. At work, at home, and in your relationships. I believe as students of the Bible, every one of us ought to be reading it on a daily basis. Now, I don't think you have to read the Bible through in a year's time. It, that's not necessary. But just take time to study God's Word. Fifteen minutes a day. Watch it change things in your life. As followers of Jesus, everything you need to handle in, is already in that Bible. You have the only textbook you'll ever need. Simply, but simply toting it around on Sunday mornings will not change your life. You can carry your Bible every week and it won't do a thing for you until you open it up and begin to read it. Study it. Dwell upon it. Pray for God to open your heart and see what a difference it makes. You have to open it up and use it for it to do any good. Fullness in Christ is not about filling your schedule with more Bible studies and sermons and so forth. That's not what it's about. Paul gives us the picture of a student who not only has God's Word, but also puts what he or she has learned into action every day of your life. The fourth metaphor that Paul gives, a fountain. Now think about that. That just doesn't seem to fit. The next picture of a, is that of a fountain that overflows. Paul wrote, abounding in it with thanksgiving. One of the ways in which Jesus personally overflows our lives is by how we talk. How do you talk? Do you realize that your talk shows a whole lot about you and 
probably a lot you don't want to know, people to know. But the way that you talk says a whole bunch about you. I remember years ago we were at church up in We had a music director, and he was a good friend of ours. In fact, we had a quartet, and we sang together and so forth, and had a lot of time. Dale had this, can't word this correctly, a bad habit of using bad words. I remember one morning, I walked into a little convenience store there in town, and I heard this man back there just spouting off these words, and I thought, that sounds familiar. By the way, I didn't say that. He was also our music director. I walked right there because it sounded familiar. And there was Dale just cussing up a storm. I, st- I should have stepped up and said, oh, I, I didn't know you talk like that or something to that effect, but I was so embarrassed I just turned, turned and got out of the store. But here was a Christian man that got up every Sunday morning and led music. We had, a, Like I said, we had a quartet. We traveled together and singing together and all these things. It was just a fun time. But yet his words outside the church Abounding in it with thanksgiving. One of the ways in which our pers- Jesus' personality overflows us is by the way we talk. You may not know people around, but somebody's going to hear you. And you know what they're going to do? Is they, let's just say somebody's here this morning. First time they've ever been here. We walk out of this building, stop down the store, down the street, whatever. One of us walks in there, and man, we're using words that shouldn't be used anywhere. Your mouth is a good indicator of the condition of your heart. Just as you can hear a fountain overflowing, you can identify an overflowing Christian by the sound that you listen to. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Matthew 12, 34. If your heart is full of anger, bitterness, or filth, that's what's going to come out of it. to the ears of God because He hears every word you say. You don't hide anything from Him. You may hide it from other people, but you're not going to hide it from Him. That's just, soothing, that's just something soothing about the sound of water that He's talking about here. The fountain overflowing and rolling. And just, have you ever been to a lake or a water fountain and just, it was soothing just to stand there and listen to it and feel the soothingness of it? That's what Jesus is saying here. We ought to watch the way we talk. There's just something sounding, uh, soothing about the sound of water. In the same way, a Christian who is full of Jesus will be speaking in a way that sounds healing and soothing to other people. The message of Colossians is that we don't have to manufacture the Christian life. Jesus lives it in us. We just need to simply let his overflowing power overflowing life that Jesus gives us. If we try to live according to our own strength, we become depleted pretty quickly. We get tired real quick. Sometimes we just want to do and do and do and do and do and and Jesus all the time saying don't and don't and don't. Sometimes we need to sit down and just be filled like the flowing water. It's like a glass of water. Once you pour all the water out, there's nothing else inside Pour all of yourself out in one day, you're empty. You've got to refresh it. That's a picture of a lot of people who have given themselves so much, there's nothing left to give. But when you're full of Jesus, He gives you an unending supply. You never run out. A supply of strength and grace. There's always more. When you think you're depleted, you discover, discover there's more. Jesus just keeps giving and giving and giving. When you surrender to Christ in you, the hope of glory, you truly understand what the Bible means when it says, My cup runneth over. He's blessed me so much. 
Ephesians chapter 5, 20, it says we should give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord and Jesus Christ. Try to find something to be thankful for in every situation. Well, I had a flat tire coming to church. Do you expect me to be thankful for that? No. But Jesus does. You had a tire to roll over for a little while anyway. Then what? Can I go out? I'll have a flat tire probably, but <clears throat> maybe not. <laughs> the last one real quick. He uses the example of a soldier. Now, this church here is, I guess, meant for this passage, but I wasn't a soldier. I don't know how to be a soldier. They would have probably kicked me out if I tried to be a soldier. In spite of the harassment, <laughs> a soldier, don't get ambushed by the lies. Don't get ambushed by the lies. Paul switches to a military metaphor. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes that we must put on the full armor of God. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. God says, put on your armor, soldiers. And they're all soldiers that are sitting here today. Put on your armor. Put on your guard, whatever, your helmet, whatever you have to wear. Put it on. Because there's fiery darts out there that's going to get you if you don't watch it. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. A soldier captured by the enemy is no longer in the battle. Sadly, there are many believers who are long, longer front line, no longer frontline warriors for God because they have been ambushed by the lies of Satan. Satan tells us a lie all the time. Paul warned the believers about the danger when he wrote in Colossians chapter 2, 8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Remember, Satan is the master of deceiving. He's a pro at it. He does it exactly the way it should be done. And many, many Christians fall for his deceptiveness. Remember, Satan is a master deceiver. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus reveals the true nature of Satan. Here's what he says. He is a liar and the father of lies. When, God, when Satan lies to you, turn your back on him and run to Jesus. Satan smiles whenever we, he sees Christians arguing about doctrinal differences. Satan laughs every time he sees a church split over some difference in belief. He knows if he can keep Christians fussing at each other and fighting with each other, they will never be effective soldiers. The liberating truth, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, through 9 and 10, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Remember that fullness is a theme of this little book called Colossians. Without Jesus Christ, our lives are empty. But in Jesus, we find the fullness of God. We don't lack anything. We can experience this wonderful fullness. If you've never experienced in just a few moments, we're going to stand to our feet. And I'd invite you to come know Jesus in a personal way. You say, well, I just don't know if I believe all that stuff. That's all right. Satan believes it. And he fights it best to fight against it. He knows it's real. Your decision's up to you. One Sunday on the way from home from church, a little girl turned to her mother and said, Mommy, the preacher's more service, uh, preacher sermon this morning confused me. The mother said, Well, why is that, honey? The little girl said, Well, he said God is bigger than we are. Is that true, Mommy? The mother replied, Well, yes, dear. That's a true story. That's a true reply. See, that's a truth. And he also said, God lives in us. Is that true, Mommy? Again, the mother said, well, yes. Well, the little girl become really confused now and said, if God is bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? Seems that not only is that true or not, but it's a good little story. Sometimes we question almost turn our backs on God. 
in the Bible often think being a Christian is boring. How wrong that is. It's the most thrilling, exciting experience in the universe. None, bar none. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10, 10. That's what the Christian life is. Understanding that Jesus lives in us and wants to live an abundant life through you. Sometimes we are so shallow that we don't want God's best for us. But God wants to give you the best there is. We don't even know what the blessing that God offers because we don't open up to Him so many times. Let me close with this. That's what the life, Christian life is. Understanding that Jesus lives in you and wants to live His, not yours, His abundant life through you. That's the most Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for the time you've given us. And we close, come to the close of this service. Lord, I don't know each one that's here today. I don't know their heart situation. don't know their faith, where they're at. But, Lord, you do. And, Lord, we just ask that you would speak to each person's spirit. There may be some here today that maybe they're a Christian and they've just got away from you. And, Lord, they just need to come back to what used to be. And, Lord, there may be some here that do not know. Lord, perhaps they're confused. But Lord, we're just going to ask for anybody here today that does not know Jesus as personal Savior. Today would be the day of salvation. Today would be a day that it changes. Today would be the day that Jesus makes a difference in their life, their family, their home life, perhaps. Lord, you know the needs of every person's life. Our prayer today is don't close this service until each one here Not to our deacons, not to anybody else. Lord, this is a response.